This is the Ned Group Investments Podcast, a space where you can learn more about our fund managers, the funds they manage, as well as getting up-to-date and important developments affecting the investment world and how they might be relevant to you. Good afternoon, everyone, and thanks for joining us today for the second quarter update of our Ned Group Investments Provider Worldwide Flexible Fund. Uh, my name is Doug Nickel, and I'm an investment analyst on the Best of Breed team here at Ned Group Investments. Today, I'm joined by Walter Eilert. He's the founder of Eilert & Co Fund Managers and the portfolio manager of the Bravata Worldwide Flexible Fund. Thanks for joining us today, Walter. Pleasure. Just to provide a little bit of context before I hand over to Walter, this fund sets out to achieve an inflation plus 5% return over rolling three-year periods. Walter's unconstrained in how he sets out to achieve this, and he has the flexibility to invest across all asset classes and jurisdictions without any asset limitations. And typically, the equity portion of this fund will range between 45 and 90%. I believe this, this, this flexibility was demonstrated recently with Walter's allocation to SA bonds, where leading into the crisis, he held 0% of the, of the fund in these bonds. But as rates spiked during March, he increased the allocation for, for investors up to around up to around 15%. And this really well positioned the fund to benefit from the rally in SA bonds during April and May. Um, on the equity sides, my discussions with Walter is generally heavily influenced by the uh, investment philosophy of Warren Buffett. And typically any discussion I have with him on, on stocks in the portfolio will tend to focus on long-term fundamental factors that drive the performance and valuation of companies. This fund, I think, is great in that it gives investors exposure to some iconic stocks such as Berkshire Hathaway and IBM, while it also has some interesting offshore emerging market exposures in stocks such as Oriental Watch Holdings and Malco International Developments. The fund currently has quite a high cash position, both locally and internationally, to deploy during what we expect to be quite a volatile period for growth assets around the world. Over the longer period, this fund has been able to deliver compelling returns in inflation plus 5% over 10-year over periods. But today, the conversation will be centered around recent performance, and I'll hand over to Walter to take us through this. Walter? Yeah. Good luck. Thanks, Doug. Good afternoon to everybody. It's uh, quite surreal sitting here. I'm in Meisner at the moment because it's safer. And certainly the weather's a little bit better than Cape Town. You know, every year we think of the market creating new ways to lose money. Never ceases to amaze me as a fund manager. It always ends the same way. Uh, it's just the methodologies or the names that they get given are different. So, I mean, we'll start off with, which I think is quite a smart cartoon, which I think we got from Tweedy Brown. And trying to time this market, uh, you, you're, not, you're just not going to do it. You're going to make mistakes. And as this picture shows, both people are poor by selling at the wrong time and buying at the wrong time. So if you think of what Doug has said, we have the ability to invest everywhere. And of course, in South Africa, it's our back garden and, and we do have an edge here, as you've seen probably from our equity performance in our other funds, where we are domestic focused, uh, we've handsomely beaten the stock markets over many, many periods. So we'll start off here and kind of set the scene. 
So we've seen rates now, the lowest they've been for that I can ever remember. I remember, I think it was 76, they were around 6%. Uh, and that's when we had a, a very high gold price uh, in real terms. We've been downgraded. Our bonds got hit hard with COVID and then strengthened. In fact, got further and further than, than when the downgrade happened. So despite the downgrade, which I think goes some way to point out that the markets had already adequately priced in the downgrade. The RAN was the shock absorber. It's taken us to 17 from about 14. And I think the highs were 19 at one stage. Property, particularly listed property and unlisted property values have fallen significantly. I never ever thought I'd ever see the shopping centers of Intu become a problem. It's like saying the waterfront or Cavendish or Michael uh, um, Santon City will have a problem. So the last five years we've had very low growth. The real problem is the stewardship of the economy by the government. The downgrade inevitably came with COVID. Uh, I thought Moody's was very kind to us in the beginning. And all these problems have just become bigger and bigger and bigger. And there's, there's more problems we could list. But I, if there's one thing I can, I can say is that I think COVID did one favor for us in the end. There's, you know, there's always a silver lining in bad news. And that was, we we're probably going to be in much worse deficits in three years time had COVID not happened. In other words, government would carry on overspending and being very poor on, on dealing with debt. What COVID has done is brought everything to the forefront. And, and basically the money has been lost, not by paying into salaries and corruption, it's just gone purely into paying for COVID. So in there uh, has brought the bad news faster to us. And instead of kicking the can down the road, we've got to deal with it right now. It also provided opportunities to invest in South African companies, which actually aren't South African companies, but listed here. So the examples we give you are Renet, BAT, and RB Platts, while listed here, uh, is a dollar revenue rand cost business. It's a platinum company. 100% of its revenue goes offshore. It's got RAND costs. Nice business to own when you have RAND weakness. Uh, it, these companies before COVID, many of our companies that we've been buying, were really reflecting negative earnings. And they were priced, as the slide says, for end of the world. COVID just made it worse. What has been pleasing to us is that all our companies, without exception, have delivered better first quarter results than we expected. So had COVID not come along, I suspect our companies would have been a lot higher than today. And these companies have weathered many, many crises. You know, I saw a webinar with Chiti Ferreira, Laurie Dipinar, and Paul Harris, the founders of RMB. And they went at great lengths to point out that uh, South Africa had faced many, many worse situations than we are in today, funny enough. So if you, it's quite a good web, web, webcast, it's part of business, it's worth watching. I think being South Africans and being, you know, the, the truth is we live here, we work here. Uh, I think we do understand our landscape much better than the foreigners because they tend to be quite short term in their thinking. So 
The businesses that we have bought in South Africa are, are very well run. Uh, they owner managed most of them. They have strong balance sheets. Essentially, what's happening is they're taking market share from other competitors in South Africa. And should we sell South African assets now because of COVID, it would be tantamount to selling in 2001 and 2008, clearly the long, wrong time to sell. So, you know, we kind of, uh, we sit here every morning, we look at what cash will give you, which is about 5%, if you're lucky, 4.6 with a government treasury bill of one year, 4.25 for one year NCD, followed by a property, which we don't think is a good idea. The local bonds we think are pretty full and we've sold all our, long, uh, all our local bonds, particularly for the long end. That leaves local equity and offshore equity. And if we can just deal with local equity, I think we can make a case to be 100% invested, which we won't. I think we've reached our limit in terms of South African exposure because of the government's inability to, to deal with a crisis. I mean, we've seen them fumble. They started off so well, and then uh, three weeks later, the president stepped aside and we ended up managing the country's problems on a very much an ideological basis, not on a financial basis. And offshore equities are full, particularly in the United States. And if one goes and looks through the various sectors of the returns, one will see that most of the markets have come down. The danger you face is that uh, if you, this, this chart is quite a good chart, just shows you if you try and time it again, your returns will be significantly worse. So if you're out of the market for 40 days, the 40 best days, it's minus 2%, you would have missed. So most of the movements happen in short little bursts you really got to be very, very good at timing the stock market. So that's why I like this flexible asset category. So how is our fund uh, position at the moment as the end of June? Renette has always been a favorite of ours, and the news is very, very good from Renette, particularly Pension Fund Corp, where the business has done better than we expected, certainly stronger, and has got a lot of cash to buy corporate bonds that have weakened. And of course, BAT sits in there as well, which we like some dividend yield of six to 8%, depending when you buy it. And that cash has been used to buy back shares in Renet. Berkshire, you all know really, really well. The only thing we did do was we reduced our exposure a little bit, primarily because we were uncomfortable holding more than, I think it was 11, 12% at one stage. And we wanted to free the cash up for something that might come our way. Uh, Melco is the casino Macau. Simply put, they cannot trade until COVID stops. So at the moment, it's like all casinos around the world pretty dead. Transaction capital have surprised us. Again, very good management team. They managed to raise some equity, which means that they can use the cash to buy more distressed debt that will be lying around. The Bobby Platts uh, I've spoken about, but again, a very, very good mine who's coming to the end of its development of its new mine. So it's very, very well placed uh, going into the future for, if you think of if platinum is going to deliver in the next five years is less platinum around the world, which we think will be the case. 
you want to be in a mine that's got long-term reserves to to be able to to deliver straight away all the other miners are shutting down production or not certainly not increasing production and it takes about eight years to develop a new shaft uh, aci has done well i think uh, we're waiting for the results soon but they managed to start buying back shares they've reduced their debt faster than we thought they would and i suspect that over time they will go back to that blue chip status that they've always had. I've spoken about Bank of New York, uh, which is a custodian, British American Tobacco, Oriental. The results came out last week. Superb result. They sell Rolex watches based in Hong Kong. And again, we're going to get about a 6% dividend, interim dividend from the, the business. So despite all the negative publicity surrounding around Hong Kong and China, people still want to buy Rolex watches and Tudor and other watches. And IBM is just a very, very cheap technology company. Not a great business, lots of legacies, issues there, but gives you 6-7% dividend yield in dollars. Doug spoke about the performance. I think we've been consistently saying that should the RAND weaken and should South Africa disappoint, uh, Bravata wouldn't do that well, and that's exactly what happened. And so these results aren't surprising because we couldn't predict COVID, and we thought the RAND had really done what it done, and we were, we were very excited about what we were doing with South African money. And uh, I suspect when we look back in a few years' time, we will comfortably have beaten CPI plus five. Uh, our portfolio is very, very cheap, and it's a very good portfolio. If you look at the performance, again, you can see if you just simply had a dollar cash, you would have done well. Here's a 186 trade that Doug spoke about and Renet, which is one of the top five shares in the JSC. On the negative side, again, if you're a casino and you cannot operate, you're going to have a negative return. And then uh, hospitality is linked to the hotels. Yeah, the rest is not too serious. Royal Buffett came, uh, again, I don't know why it was hit so hard, other than it's not a, a big platinum producer, it's not owned by all the other fund managers. When you look at the big large cap platinum companies, they've done much better, and on a risk-adjusted basis, no doubt RB Platts will be better placed, and our size suits us. So I suspect we'll get our money back in most of those shares. I'm not too concerned. So what is the right thing to do here? You know, and I think it's quite simple in the sense that you've got to decide whether you want to live in South Africa or not. Because should you wish to leave or in the next five years, you shouldn't be in any South African portfolio, you should be offshore. But should you wish to stay here, one should invest offshore to manage the weak RAND. Problem is the RAND is already weak. So it makes far more sense for me to buy assets that do well at a weak RAND in other words, a RAND hedge stock that's got dollar revenue or and RAND costs. Or should you find something really cheap or sure, one should buy it. That is the rational thing to do. The irrational thing is to panic and take money offshore and put it in the bank. It simply doesn't make sense. So if you take your money offshore at 17 RAND to the dollar, you're saying that your return, which is part of your purchase price, is the RAND plus what you do with the money on the other side, you better make sure it doesn't go down because the rank would strengthen back to 14 and it also, the market's down, it could go down. 
So when we look at U.S. markets, we think they're fairly valued, particularly the, the top 20 part of the S&P. And if you had to stratify the S&P, you'd see quite a lot of shares already down 40, 50%, mainly the cyclicals and the banks. It's really the fangs and the tech stocks that are holding it up. Uh, Europe has got a problem in that it's not creating jobs and it's got some serious, serious challenges. Brexit, we don't need to say more about that in the UK. And Latin America and Africa don't really feature. So that leaves Asia. And primarily uh, Hong Kong and South Africa. And that's kind of where the fund is placed. If you think both markets at the moment, as Hong Kong and, 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 and South Africa, suffer from political issues, from uh, lack of positive sentiment from internationals, but yet there's some very good companies in both regions which are exceptionally cheap. So it's been our view that's where we'll put the money and things change fast. They don't, they don't stay the same, but the portfolio doesn't turn over a lot. Um, we're certainly looking for new shares or investments. We've looked at a, quite a few properties, or when I say properties, investment businesses, one is an airport company in Mexico. Another one is Booking.com. We've looked at quite a few airline industries associated, but all feels too soon or the risk is too high. So we're looking very, very hard. And it's really sticking to what we know and sticking to what we expect. And with owner-managed businesses and with less risk, because I don't think anyone knows what's going to happen in the next five to 10 years. But I suspect we'll look back and say, not such great returns. So you're going to have to grind it out is the best way to put it. South African companies are very, very cheap. There's no doubt about it. And life goes on. It certainly goes on. And when you get your money back in three, four years time, that takes care of a lot of risks this economy faces. So we, it's, you know, those bonds that you see there are not really long-term bonds. They were, they're less than one year. Yeah, I don't think you'll see more than 30% equity exposure to South Africa going forward. I think what has changed since the beginning of the year is we were incredibly disappointed by government's actions and COVID, of course, just made it much harder for the country to, to deal with its problems. You know, basically, if you ask me to write the script, it's so easy. Just get rid of all SA, SAA, all these SOEs, privatize. You know, Eskom's had four months to get its act together. Couldn't do that. So it's a bit doomy, and we can't ignore that. And uh, yeah, should some of the other markets continue to come down as we find new investments, we'll take the money offshore again. So that's how we see the world at the moment you'll notice it doesn't change very much. So if I look back since we last spoke, we bought bonds, we've sold bonds, we put a kind of a break on new investments in South Africa simply because uh, of being unable to ignore the stewardship of the South African government. It's not inspiring us with confidence. We gave them quite a lot of the benefit of the doubt and, and it was justified. You know, things were happening, but I think one thing that will never change is the way the present government thinks in terms of a very socialistic government. 
you know, to walk away from billions of revenue in taxes in terms of cigarette taxes now, alcohol taxes, just doesn't make sense to me. So we'll see. Africa's not for sissies. Yeah, so well, let's hand over to questions, Doug. Great. Thanks for that, Walter. Appreciate it. Yeah, there are quite a few things that I think we can touch on um, on the presentation. I think if we maybe work from the kind of global portfolio and then we can work down through some of the SA Inc. discussions. So starting with a global portfolio, um, there's Berkshire Hathaway, is, you know, it's been one of the largest stocks in the fund for quite some time. Last time we spoke, you spoke about how its long-term value is very much tied up in the release of the cash positions as Charlie and Warren come closer to retirement, which which we wonder when, when that will be. But there is quite a bit of cash within that stock and them not being able to deploy it. Is that necessarily suggesting that they're failing to find investments and is it still attractive? If that's the well, case. I mean, they, they just wrote a check out for $10 billion. How many people can write out a check for $10 billion? You know anyone who can do that? I don't. So, you know, the 131 billion just went to 121. Mm. So, and then secondly, in a, in, a, in a world that's so uncertain, I want to be with someone who's got a lot of cash in his balance sheet. And then three, you know, the fund is... I mean, the business has not done well. The share versus its intrinsic value has underperformed uh, the market substantially. That's typically the time you want to own Berkshire, particularly when you start seeing people making fun of him. But what people don't realize is Buffett put in, he's the second biggest investor after Vanguard in Apple. Mm. And that thing's grown to $67 billion, if I remember. How many people do you know have made $50 billion? So... I'm very happy to have Mr. B working for me. I suspect Greg Abel was behind the Dominion acquisition, which is the 10 billion one that I was talking about, and not Buffett. And it was quite surprising the way he sold as airline industry so fast. And he was quite happy to take the knock. So it is, I think he sees more downside to the economy. And remember, he's got a very good eye on what's happening out there. And when you look at a company that does about $20 billion a year of cash flow, what's that worth to you? It's worth a lot. And the, 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 the listed holdings are, are becoming less and less important than the unlisted holdings. So you're going to suffer some headwinds, particularly with precision cost parts on the aeroplane parts. I think the energy business will be fine. The train business will be fine. And then, of course, the short-term insurance and the reinsurance businesses are not going to disappear. You're not paying for them. Mm. In other words, you, if you just strip out the cash and all the investments and all that, then put very little on the insurance business. It must be worth something. Mm. So, yeah, I think Berkshire's fine. I, I think it's a great proxy for the S&P. Much better. And there's been talk, Walter, recently of... Has, has there been a share buyback or share repurchase rumors well, or, or taken, no, taken place recently? I haven't. I doubt he would have bought anything now. But uh, and, and in fact, most companies, if I don't know many companies that have done share buybacks in the last three months, it just wouldn't be acceptable unless you've got so much cash you don't want to do with it. And uh, in his case, you know, remember he speaks about his fortress balance sheet. 
So I doubt he's been buying, but he certainly was buying before COVID. And it, I mean, we all know the share is cheap, and he knows it as well. It's not hard to work it out. You look at where the share price is, and you know, if you put 30 multiple on the unlisted businesses, take the listed businesses and the cash, you get 30% more. Mm. But you know, it's not going to go there until until something happens that we can't forecast, like he pays a dividend, something happens to, to Warren Buffett. I suspect we'll see better returns thereafter because the, 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 the CEO will return the cash. But it's a good proxy for the US economy. And uh, yeah, so I, I, I think that's what, how we play it. And it's underperformed for five years now, I think. You know, it's not, a, it's not an Amazon or a Google or a, an Apple. And it obviously does have an exposure to Bank of America um, in, the, in the fund. I think that's its second biggest holding in their portfolio. I have also noticed that we have financials in terms of Jeffrey's BNY Mellon, you've already mentioned that. Going into another, I guess, another low interest rate environment, how, how are you thinking about those positions? Well, we were obviously, I think, with the crisis incorrectly placed because those are high beta stocks. And we were betting on a, an rising interest rate environment, not a, a lowering interest rate environment. Bank of New York's a custodian and also basically holds the shares as security. It's the biggest in the world now, I think. And Jefferies is a merchant bank. So it's really a gear, it's a geared played on the markets, be it bonds or equities. And uh, Lazard, which is another investment that we have in the fund, it's an asset manager and a merchant bank or principal advisor is the better word. So they give us a bit of exposure to stock market volatility and they'll do well if the markets continue to run. So we have quite a low beta portfolio. So to add some of these more high beta stocks is not a bad idea. And we've had them for a long time and uh, they've basically came back to where we bought them. You know, so it makes no sense to us to sell them. And I think the US banks have always been well prepared for this environment. In other words, they've had a lot of compliance issues, a lot of supervision from the Fed. Bank of America is an interesting one because I think Buffett's exposure was through the preferreds. And we actually met the FD, it's a friend of Dimitri's, funny enough, South African guy, CFO of Bank of America, believe it or not. And I think it's a very good bank. And it's run by a very good CEO. So again, it's just, it's part of the S&P. Think of it that way. And he's also got Wells Fargo, which is not small in his life either. And you can throw American Express, which is a little bit more smaller. So there's a lot of financial exposure to the banking sector in, in, in Buffett's portfolio, but by far as big as now is Apple. Brilliant. So turning our attention to, I guess, Europe or European stocks in the in the portfolio, you've recently added Group Brussels. I think I pronounced that correctly. Right. Um, so, it looks like quite an interesting conglomerate, and it seems to include yeah. some like household names like Adidas, Bernard Ricardo, and but then it's also got some interesting private equity stuff. What what yeah, kind so of what attracted was, you to that stock? So. It actually, we didn't acquire it now, we've had it for many years, but it was under a different name called Pagesa, which was in Switzerland. So basically it's like, it's a, I used to call it the Rengro of, of France. 
So the, the joint families, a Canadian French family and a French family in in France, listed the company in Switzerland, the holding company with another subsidiary in Belgium, and then the underlying investments which you've mentioned. And they were very big in Total, Pernod Ricard, Suez, and Adidas came much later. And kind of what's happened is we were offered shares in the subsidiary, which was a very favorable swap because Bogesa was trading at quite a big discount. So we took those shares. So you've got three companies. So we, we dropped down one of the levels. The company in the past was just a big listed holding company of these two very wealthy families. And what's happened over the last five to 10 years is they've moved away from the listed environment and have gone into the incubators and private equity and so forth. And with mixed success. And the discounts were around 30 to 40% on his, it's an investment trust, if you think of it that way. And it's more than likely will be sold out of the fund now because ideally what you want, we've, we've unlocked quite a lot of value from Pargesa into the subsidiary and being on the discount, this, you know, the underlines have moved quite fast and they've reduced exposure to Tatel. I think the other big holding they had was the cement producer, what's it called, Lafarge. Yeah, it was a good, it's, a, it's been a good investment for us. I liked it. It hasn't shot the lights out, but it's held its value and given us 10%. But we have very little European exposure. Most of our European exposures come through Greece, funny enough. We held Jumbo until recently again for third or fourth time. It's made us very good money. We've held in the past a property company in Greece and in one of our other funds, which is a small fund uh, because we can't get the exposure, we own a tobacco company. But Europe does not excite us at all. We just, I think Europe's got some serious problems, very, very serious problems. If you have no growth, declining population, the tough love that America tends to have in the markets, they seem to be a little bit rudderless. So, you know, I've got three young sons and they all almost either finished their studies or moving on towards their final years. And they want to go to Europe. I said to you, mad. I wouldn't go to Europe and I wouldn't go to America. I'd go to Asia. It's tough and competitive in Asia, no doubt about it. But you do have advantages that they don't have. You speak English. And we're quite competitive as a nation. So Africans play sport and all that. And I think you can, you can box. We tend to box above our weight. And I think Asia is more exciting, definitely. You think the way they've dealt with this COVID crisis. Mm. Uh, I think Europe's a better country to live in, you know. It's a reason why 3 million Hong Kong passport or Newport want to go live in the UK must be out of their mind. It's so bloody cold there. But it's tough in, it's tough in, in those countries, but work-wise. But, but again, you know, if a lot of Western countries that need English-speaking people. And it's a great culture. It's a very, so I think things can get done in, in Asia, particularly Hong Kong, Singapore, Korea, Malaysia, Indonesia is a little bit tougher. There's of course Australia, New Zealand, and then there's Japan, you know, it's got its own problems. So the, I think it's the problem with talking like this is very dangerous to talk about countries and regions and sectors. We're not experts. We know so little. So to act yeah, and like with this big view of the world, it's very dangerous. I can talk about Berkshire. 
I can talk about Pogesa or Grupo Luxel, but but and I've studied them for five years and ten years, but I can't tell you about every bank in Paris or France. I can't. I think that's we. I think we learn if you talk like that. You know, it's unless you've only been doing banking in France. I can talk well about South Africa as a region. That's different. And I mean, it's so pessimistic in the moment in South Africa. I mean, find me a person who's optimistic in South Africa. It's very hard, especially after last night's months. They say alcohol is a depressant. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, and I guess depressant. talking about South Africa, you know, you mentioned that equities, although you you know you had quite a positive view on them um, leading into the crisis, you had you had you had decreased exposure here. But there is still quite a bit of value, it seems, in real yields available on on some of the uh, five-year and ten-year bonds. Is that an area you, you have sold out of those? But is that an area where you where you could potentially go back into? No doubt about it. We would go back into the one eight sixes. I don't think we'd go further than five six years. You know how we think about bonds is very simple because I think a lot of bond managers will give you lots of convexity calculations, duration, and tell you how the little curve bounces up and down. And I'm not a great fan of that, but I don't have to beat bond managers by comma 0.1%. But I think what happens in bonds, as with currencies, you get extremes. And they react, the bonds and the currencies are shock absorbers. And the nice thing about a bond when it's 10% yield to 12% yield, and it's going to expire in six years' time, it's like an option in a sense on the country on the government's ability to pay you back. You buy a deep out of the money call option and you've been paid 12% to hold it till expiring. And I think South Africa is far away from not paying its debt. So that's not going to be an issue for the next six years. And if your job is to manage money in South Africa, that's your job. But when it gets down to 7.7, 7.4, 7.3, it doesn't take much in the form of the United States bond markets to recover. And should they recover, the South African bonds will be hit. So I think you've got to be rewarded for sticking your neck out. And bonds were easy at 10, 12% for bravata. For us to buy equities here, we want to be able to more than double our money to take care of weakness in the RAND and the risk of investing in South Africa. So think of you're a US or a British investor, why would you put 30% of your money in South Africa? That's how we think. Because that's roughly what you've got in South Africa. And the reason why is that we think that 30% could go up 60, you know, 200%. We wouldn't be investing if we didn't think the value of those businesses are somewhere between 100 and 200% more. Now, think about this. It wasn't long ago. It was 2016, I think, 2014, I can't remember. Anglo's got to 50 Rand. It's 420 Rand today. That's gone up eight times. There is no reason that Soho can't go from two, three rand sixty to fourteen or fifteen rand if they don't have a rights issue, and there's going to be no rights issue so far. Go back to sixteen, that's where it started. Do you know what that will do to the fund? It'll take care of all those inflation benchmarks, all those rand weaknesses, and it's not impossible. I mean, we're not going anywhere. The reason we're talking here is because we live here and we invest here and we spend our money and we earn our salaries here. So in dollars, we might be a little bit poorer, 
but let's go and find something that makes money when the rand is weak. And, you know, we're assured of, for example, there's no one in the world that has the platinum that, that the world needs. So it's very possible that in five years' time, if, if platinum is at $2,000 an ounce, South Africa's problems in the short term are, are, have been dealt with because the mining sector is very big in our lives and it pays taxes and it pays dividend taxes. And if you want planning exposure of size, you come to South Africa. Now, why is it going to go there? It's because there's going to be no palladium in the world. There's a massive shortage of palladium and rhodium. And we've discovered that fuel cells can only work with platinum converters. And, and you need a lot of plat platinum metal to go into hydrogen fuel cell. But now that's blue sky stuff. Mm. But, you know, I, I just think that's an interesting, you know, when we own some small companies like Bola Metcalf, Bola's got 400 million of cash, it's got properties, and it's got the business, which is making little plastic bottles, containers. I'm not paying for anything. You know, for one, two PE. I'm quite happy to give my money back in two years. Mm. And or, so, Walter, or, or with that or, kind of outlook, what, if 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 you were to say to investors, what was the kind of time period they should be looking to invest for in the fund? Like, if you had to sum that up in a minute or two, how would you respond to them? Well, I can sum it in thirty seconds. What I've always said: you should not be in funds if you cannot handle the stock markets for ten years. Because remember, if you look at the Nasdaq, it took twenty years for the Nasdaq to recover. It's, it took Japan, has never really got back to it. It's now 20-something, or just 40,000 20 years ago, eight, 22 years ago. So in your mind, if you look at where South Africa is in dollars, you've got to be prepared for markets to go sideways. So investors are in this very, very tough place at the moment because first, they've not saved enough money for retirement. Secondly, the safe investments don't give them any interest. So everyone goes into equities and the risk they face is that equities go sideways or go down 10, 20%, which is not impossible. It happened in the 70s. It happened in 98 here in South Africa. So, and now in South Africa, we've gone sideways for five, six years. So I like that. That's why I say South Africa is safer than the rest of the world at an absolute level. What's not safe is that we are faced with enormous challenges in this country. So it will affect companies. But you know what? You still got to eat. You still want to make a living. You still got to pay your taxes. You still got to go to hospital. So I'm assuming you're going to live here. And, you know, we've, as I say, we have faced tougher times. And Brazil, if you want to see what's happening in Brazil, it's a, it's a dog show there. You know, and, you know, if you were a, a, an industrialist in the UK, it's difficult. You don't know what your government's up to, to the Brexit. And if you're in Europe, you know, Poland's just won the election, the very close, closely tied election, but conservatives took just won it. So there's, there's a lot of dispute there, a lot of room for disturbance. So the world's in a very difficult place. And then throwing China, the US, the China-US thing is just escalating all the time. And if you want to get depressed, go onto YouTube and Top in US versus China tension. And they'll show you how war start. 
And typically, a war isn't started by the two parties. It's the third party that starts the war. You know, it's, maybe it's North Korea. So both world wars were started by other disputes. So I, I think it's, we, you know, we've always been cautious. We've built the arc. We're waiting for the rain now. Is it coming or not? I don't know. But I think buying South African stocks like ACI that supplies explosives to the mining companies, that gives us clean water and certain foods uh, protection and chemicals that we need. RB Platts, transaction capital. I mean, I don't know if you noticed, we want the taxis to run this country because they slaughtered the government 10 0 in the So now the government didn't even fight. Kind of said, no, you, got to, you can't be 200% full, you've got to be 100% full. And just open your windows. You yes. know? And uh, the, the transaction capital funds taxis, you know, and, and people are borrowing money and they don't pay the retailers or the banks. So transaction capital buys their distressed debt for three cents in the RAM. I like that, you know, so I, and you'll notice around you, you would have heard success stories of individuals that make money in difficult times. And I'm not making, please, I'm not in any way making small light of people that are suffering out there. I have a sister who's just, who's going to probably be retrenched or has been retrenched. I know family friends and that are they're closing the businesses. It's very tough times, but the stronger companies come out even stronger. And they dominate the market then. They set the price. And I suspect we're going to see a lot of that. And then, and I, I don't know if you've ever, when we were fund managers, we just thought of analysts. We'd always say, did that thing really get to a P of three? No, I don't believe you. How the hell did it get to a P of three? God, I would have bought every share I could find. Now when the shares are 20 P's, we want to buy them. You know, that's too late then. And, you know, five years is not long in the markets. So I would caution any investor that wants to go into the market, if he's a pensioner, be careful. Be very careful. Mm. Well, Walter, thanks very much for those insights. Um, apologies if we have gone on a bit longer than usual, but you know, we, I just thought those insights from Walter were quite were quite insightful, given the length of time he has been in the markets, and um, certainly the perspective he gains from investing right across the board. So thank you very much for your time there, Walter. Uh, just to remind everyone that tomorrow we will kick off our um, updates on our global range. At 10 a.m., we, we're going to be talking to uh, Veritas, who run our global equity portfolio, um, and this will be followed at 4 p.m. with a discussion with FPA on Global Flex. So from myself, Walter, and my colleagues at Ned Group Investments, goodbye, take care, and enjoy the rest of your evening. Thank you very much. Ned Group Collective Investments is an authorized collective investment scheme manager in terms of the Collective Investment Schemes Control Act. Ned Group Investments does not provide advice on financial products and will only give you factual information. For further details on our funds and to view our terms and conditions, please visit nedgroupinvestments.co.za.